We're just going to read Isaiah 9, 2 through verse 7. Let's read out loud together. The words are on the screen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So over the past few weeks, uh, we've looked at several of these titles. Uh, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So it's my privilege this, this evening. <laughs> Pastors can never say anything but morning. It's night. Uh, so this evening, it's my privilege to just focus on this one last title, uh, Prince of Peace. And my message will just fall under three short subheadings. The government of peace, peace with God in a troubled world, and the person of peace. So first, the government of peace. So what do you want for Christmas? Go ahead and say it. Peace on earth, right? Every time somebody asks me what I want for Christmas, I struggle with how to respond because no matter what I'm going to say, I'm, going to, I'm just going to sound selfish. Because what I really want to say is I would like that whole Garmin live scope with the new trolling motor that sits still. But what does that have to do with Christmas? I mean, what, what an odd thing for us to feel that somehow we're entitled to receive something or that Christmas is about what we want. Because really what Christmas is, it's a celebration of what we got, right? It's a celebration of what God has done on our behalf. Christmas is about a fulfillment of a prophecy, over 300 of them, that happened on this one night so long ago. It's a story of a people who walked in darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of war, the darkness of depression, the darkness of loss, of anxiety, of injustice, the darkness of despair. But now those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And just as predicted, the light comes in the form of a child born unto us. I know it's, if you're kind of new to this, it sound, well, it sounds like he's talking in the past tense, but that's called the prophetic perfect. When a prophet is given a vision from God, he sees it so clearly that he declares it as though it's already come to pass. And that's what happened. Just as predicted, the light comes in the form of a child born into us, a son given to us. It is the news of a king who has come to this world to set things right once and for all. This child will grow to be a man who will forevermore be known as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. He will institute a new government, a government of peace, and that government shall never end. Over 700 years after that passage was written in Isaiah 9, angels from heaven proclaimed exactly this good news to the startled shepherds on that first Christmas. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What church? Peace. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Just as Isaiah had prophesied, the light of the world came into the world. He appeared to those who were lost in darkness. A child was born, a son was given, and his name was Jesus. And he is the Prince of Peace. Now, some 2,000 years later, as we're gathered in this building tonight, there is a tension that we can all feel on this Christmas Eve and I'm going to articulate it. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, if he was a long-awaited Messiah, then why is there still so much war, conflict, and misery in the world? Why is anxiety and depression at an all-time high in our country? Why does it seem that our culture is more divided and more hostile than ever? Why does peace seem more elusive to the average person than ever before? If Jesus is the light of the world, why is there still so much darkness? These are all very fair questions, but they are answerable questions. And the answers will bring hope and peace to your life if you have the ears to hear it. First of all, based upon what we just read and just a bit of common sense, it stands to reason that to inherit the peace offered by the Prince of Peace we must be under his government. His government is established upon God's word. The word made flesh who dwelt among us. In his government, Jesus is Lord. He is the king. And those who submit to him are people who abide in and honor his kingdom and his leadership. Make no mistake, Jesus is the prince of peace, but he will not force us to come under his government. We are still free souls. We don't have to live under his government. We are certainly free to live under a different government and submit to different rulers, but we should not expect to find any peace there. And that, of course, is what we see all over the world. There is no peace to be found in a world that believes that there's no truth. There is no peace when we are constantly adrift, tossed about by the winds and waves of every cultural fad. Most importantly, there is no other government, no ideology that will give you what you want and what you need more than anything else, and that is peace with God. In the end, what every human soul longs for more than anything else is peace with God. Now, you may not know that. You may not agree with that, but that's what you want. We all do. You see, we are not accidental and personal machines that randomly evolved over billions of years. That is a lie. We are personal, moral, intelligent creatures who bear the image of a personal, moral, intelligent creator. The Bible states that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to observe that that is simply true. Every part of the human body screams design, brilliant design, from the DNA that's in every one of our cells to the central nervous system, to the ability of a body to fight off disease and heal itself, to the design of an eyeball. Every last bit of it reveals a genius level of design, and design comes only from a designer. We were created, we were designed 
We were intended to be in a loving, dependent relationship with our Creator. But the Bible makes it clear that because of our sin, our beautiful minds and bodies are broken, and so is our society. Because of our sin, we are estranged from God. And we all know that's true, and sadly, no earthly government, no amount of worldly pleasures, distractions, good works, or successes will accomplish peace with God. Because our souls are rebellious, and generally selfish and full of sin, we fear and even disdain the government of God. We fight to be autonomous and create narratives to convince ourselves that God doesn't exist. We choose to submit our souls under a different government, or God forbid, we declare ourselves to be self-governed. That is what it means to walk in darkness. If God is the light, then people who walk in darkness just want nothing to do with them because his light only reveals our darkness and the infinite gap between the way we were supposed to be and the way that we are. Is there any wonder then that we have no peace? To be separated from God, to be alienated from our creator, to be subject to some other ruthless ruler who doesn't love us and who will never forgive us. We are by nature those who walk in darkness and there's no peace in that darkness. But here's the good news of the gospel and why the whole world gathers tonight to celebrate this one man because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came as a great light to those who walk in darkness because Jesus alone makes peace with God possible, even as he brought, provides peace for our souls in a troubled world. And I'm going to tell you more about that peace in a minute. But the first thing I want you to know is it just makes sense. The peace that our souls long for comes only to those who are under our Lord's governance. If we refuse to yield to King Jesus, we remain at odds with his kingdom and his kingship, and we should not expect to find or experience peace. In fact, when Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace but division, he was referring to exactly this tension. He's the king, and his government will provide peace. But his government will never compromise or align itself with the governments and rulers of this world. But if you long for peace in your life, there's only one government that will suffice. There's only one Lord who provides peace, and that is the government of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who provides peace with God in a troubled world. And that leads me to my second subheading, creatively designed to say, peace with God in a troubled world. Now, many of you know, that in a few weeks, I'm going to resume our journey through the book of Ephesians, and we will be returning to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And in that text, we find one of the most powerful, succinct passages regarding the work Jesus did to make peace with God possible. Beginning with verse 13, Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. This was the work of Jesus. To break down the hostility between us and God and one another. And he did it. When Jesus came into the world, he came with this mission to reconcile God to man and to reconcile 
our differences, that we could overcome racial differences, we could overcome all kinds of ideological differences, that we could experience unity and oneness, the very peace that we all pray would happen, Jesus came to accomplish it. This is the gospel of grace. This is our source of peace. It's a peace that empowers us to make peace with one another. Many of you have heard the great preacher Charles Spurgeon many, many years ago. Such an eloquent writer. Here's what he says. He said, the peace meant here is the deep tranquility of a soul resting on God. The quiet restfulness of spirit, which is the peculiar gift of God and the choice privilege of the believer. The deepest, best, and most worthy peace of the soul is its rest towards the Lord God himself. We are no longer afraid of God. The sin which divided us from him is blotted out, and the distance which it created has ceased to be. The atonement has wrought perfect reconciliation and established everlasting peace. The terrors of God's law are effectually removed from us, and instead thereof we feel the drawings of his love. We are brought nigh by the atoning sacrifice and have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a beautiful quote. That's a beautiful summation of what Christ did. But before we're saved by the Prince of Peace, we are inevitably, we just inevitably think of God as being angry with us. That's our view of God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And if you don't know the peace of Christ, when you think of God, you think, well, if he's there, he doesn't like me. That's because God's law is there. It's called the universal moral law, or some people would even call it the natural law. It's what our constitution was based upon, this self-evident awareness that there's a way things are supposed to be. And we hold ourselves accountable to that because we're moral creatures. But it's a constant reminder of our failure, our guilt, our shame. We feel judged by God and God's people and we feel hopeless of making things right. And that leads to two possible options. We either despair <laughs> and we just try the rest of our lives to make up and try to do as much good as we can. Or we just walk away from God altogether hoping that maybe God doesn't exist and we're not moral creatures after all. Neither path will lead us to peace. And that is because there is no peace with God without the Prince of Peace. He has to make intercession for us through his death on the cross. When we understand that, when we understand that we've been forgiven in Christ, saved by grace, that our debt has been paid, that the Father now looks upon our souls as those who have never sinned because the very righteousness of Christ has been put on our account. Well then... The way we think about God changes completely, doesn't it? Spurgeon goes on to say, we know that all his thoughts to us are now thoughts of love, and we bless his name, that our thoughts toward him are no longer those of the slave towards a taskmaster or a criminal towards a judge, but those of a beloved child towards a kind and tender father. Fervent love reigns in our hearts, casting out all fear and causing us to join God by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great blessing. It is surely a choice delight for a man to know that whether he prospers or is afflicted, whether he lives or dies, there is nothing between God and him but perfect friendship for all that offends has been effectually put away. This is peace. This is shalom. This is every good and great gift from God that you would simply be at peace with God. This is the most satisfying peace you'll ever experience. When your soul finds peace in your relationship with God, everything else in this life finds its place. Even loss, even hardships, 
when we finally know and believe that God truly loves us, that he loves us so much that he gave us his son, then we can rest, no matter the circumstances. One of my favorite verses, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary, having laden, and I, I will give you rest. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because of the peace of Christ, our hearts, our hearts just don't need to be troubled or afraid or anxious or depressed. Our hearts can rest in him. Now, does that mean that we're not going to have any more troubles? No. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. In fact, he actually said the opposite. You know, John writes in John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, but the darkness is still there. Jesus acknowledged it. John 16, 33 said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Our peace comes from being in Jesus who has overcome the world. If we're in him and he's in us, then we'll be overcomers. It doesn't mean we won't suffer, we won't experience loss, we won't have tribulation in our life, we will. But it will not master us, and it will not take away our joy, because we have the peace of Christ in us. And sometimes, that is the most powerful thing, and it's exactly the thing that you need. Some of you heard this uh, last week, during the worship service, a certain individual completely defaced our facility over at our South Kansas City location. And when I say defaced, I'm talking about an evil kind of vandalism. Putting in the name Jesus, crossing out, writing the word Satan. I hope you all will die. One horrible, very evil thing after another defaced our walls, our artwork, our Bibles, the tables, chairs, pews, Well, it didn't take long as we investigated the situation for us to figure out who it was. There were a few eyewitnesses who gave an account. And so we confronted that person. It was a young person. And as I had an engagement with this young person, <laughs> Ephesians six twelve came to mind. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. This young person was a pawn, manipulated by the enemy of our souls to write words and curses that could not possibly have emanated from this young person's own thoughts and feelings. I immediately recognized that my battle was not with this person. My battle was with evil itself. It's the same battle you'll have when you walk out of these doors. I could discern that evil wanted to devour this young person. And I discovered a righteous anger that fueled my soul and a determination to fight on this person's behalf. And I want you to know something. Not only did the peace of Christ sustain me in that fight, but the, the, the peace of Christ burned like a fire within my soul. And I looked at this person, knowing full well I was talking to the one that was right behind that person. 
And I said, the one in me is stronger than the one who's in the world. That's what the peace of Christ can do for you. It gives us a victory. A victory in the spiritual realm. A victory over the powers of evil. Because Christ is in us. And Christ has overcome this world. He has overcome the evil in this world. Now let me close very quickly with my third subheading. The person of peace. You are going to live in a chronic state of disappointment for the rest of your life if you define peace as a state of affairs. If that's what it takes for you to believe that God exists, that there's going to just be peace and there'll be no more conflict and no more war and everything's just going to go very fine in your life, (laughs) you're going to be living in constant disappointment. I mean, it's funny to me how many times people say to me, well, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? I mean, if God is really God, why doesn't he just move his hand and just rid the earth of all these evil people? Of which I just very kindly and gently remind that person, if God were to move his hand and remove all the evil people, there would be no people left. (laughs) We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Amen, church? Now, you may disagree. And if you'd be so bold, please raise your hand and let me know if you think that you are without sin and we'll ensure that you get counseling for narcissism. (laughs) Praise God that he does not give us what we deserve. He has given us his son. And it is through his son that we can experience peace because the shalom of God is a person. He is the Prince of Peace, and he is our peace. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He is our peace. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have peace because peace comes in him. He doesn't just provide it as a commodity. He is it. That relationship with the one who loved you enough to die for you, who is both man and God, who understands what it is to suffer, what it is to be betrayed, what it is to lose people he loves, one who understands what it is to go head to head with evil, this is the one that you call upon and his name is Jesus. He provides our tranquility, our wholeness. He makes us complete. If you lack peace in your life, I cannot urge you strongly enough to call upon this man, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate tonight. He is not dead, he's very much alive. And his spirit is present with us even now. He is the provider and perfecter of peace. And he quickly and consistently responds to those who call upon his name. I can tell you that from personal experience. Again, I must quote my last quote, the great Charles Spurgeon. He says, when he comes very near your heart and lays bare his wounds and speaks his love home to you, making you feel its divine fervency, when he assures you, that you are one with him, united to him in an everlasting wedlock which knows no divorce. Then it is that your soul is steeped in peace. This is an experimental business. No mere words can express it. The Lord of peace himself gives you peace. This I say he does mainly by manifesting himself to the heart of his servants. That's perfectly said. So friends, Remember that Jesus was born not only as our Savior, but as the Lord. He runs the government, his government, his king. He's the king. We are to be part of his kingdom. He makes peace with God possible. But he longs to have a personal relationship with each and every one of you. 
That relationship is available to all who will humble themselves, repent of the sin that has separated them from God. As we call upon Jesus, he comes to us. The Lord of peace who gives us peace because he gives us himself. So I invite you tonight as we light these candles, as we sing peace, peace, peace and silent night, that wherever you are in your life right now, that you would call upon the name of Jesus to be your peace because he will come. He'll change everything. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Prince of Peace. Deliver us from darkness, we pray. Amen.